Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This friendly Mother's Day reminder is brought to you by 1-800-Flowers.com. Mother's Day is this Sunday. You don't have time to put this off any longer. Head to 1-800-Flowers.com right now. 1-800-Flowers has amazing deals on last-minute Mother's Day gifts. From bouquets to sweet surprises, mom deserves the best. Order your gift from 1-800-Flowers before time runs out. To order today, go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash ACAST. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash ACAST. Hey, book lovers. My name is Em, and I want to talk about books. And cats. Hey, book lovers. My voice is mostly back, and I'm pretty much recovered from the COVID. I still don't have a sense of taste, which really, really sucks. But my voice is much better, thankfully. I have been told that I could not have my sense of taste for up to six months. And that is a bummer. Because <laughs> this is not fun. But I will be grateful for the rest of my health and hope that eventually I can taste food again. <laughs> so first I need to tell you about something that is only kind of tangentially related to books. But I found it really interesting, and I just want to talk about it. It is the Doki Doki Literature Club. It's a video game. My kids showed me a YouTube video of one of their favorite YouTubers playing it, and it was fascinating. Video games are so crazy these days. I am from the early days of Nintendo, and I owned an OG Game Boy. So the video games today just kind of blow my mind. They're more like interactive movies, which is just so cool. The Doki Doki Literature Club was so weird, like in the very best way. It's very Japanese, and it starts off with you being a student looking to make friends, and you join the literature club and meet the four other girls who are members. They share their poems, which are kind of varied and somewhat odd, especially some of them. But then things start to get really weird. It turns into a confusing and pretty horrifying game. Uh, rather quickly, and nothing is what it seemed, which you know I love. It was one of the most unique games that I've seen lately. If you don't want to play it but are interested in checking it out like I was, I highly recommend watching the YouTube channel Game Grumps. Um, there's a compilation of them playing it, or you can watch all 30-something episodes of them playing it real-time. I went for the compilation. You get the idea. You get kind of the plot. And they're really funny, too. One of them gets freaked out super easily, so once the game starts to kind of take a turn towards the horrifying, he gets really funny. <laughs> I might actually end up playing this game. It involves making choices, kind of like an old-school computer game, or like a choose-your-own-adventure type of thing, sort of. It doesn't involve pointing, shooting, looking around. That stuff never seems to work for me. I always end up just, like, staring at the sky and not able to figure out how to do anything else. So this one definitely seems more like it's my kind of game. It's more like, do you want to 
read this poem or talk to whoever, and then you pick one. I can handle stuff like that, and it looks really interesting. But I'll let you know how that goes. Anyway, let's get into this week's book because I am obsessed with this book. I cannot stop thinking about it. I'm talking about Reckless Girls by Rachel Hawkins. So Rachel Hawkins is the author of The Wife Upstairs, which is a retelling of Jane Eyre, and I will be reading that one too. I've heard a lot of good things about it, and I love Jane Eyre, so I'm definitely interested to see what she does with it, especially after reading this book. Reckless Girls is so good. I have been thrilled so far with my book choices for this year, and I think this one is my favorite yet which is a good trajectory to be on. Bring on the good books. (laughs) So let's start with the location. It mostly takes place on a small, uninhabited island called Moreau Island. I think it built up on uh, a dead coral reef, and it's completely off the grid. The island also has a somewhat sinister history. Originally, it was the location of a shipwreck, from which only a handful of men survived, and those men were later tried for cannibalism because they survived for like 80 days or something. And all the fish around there are poisonous. There's no drinkable water. Like, it's not a place where you can really survive, and so they obviously had to eat their dead friends, which is a bummer, especially to then be, like, tried for it. Anyway, uh, after that, it was used in World War II, and then it was mostly abandoned, though more adventurous travelers have gone there. Some of them have come back with strange and haunting stories, and some of them don't come back at all. They just vanish. One thing is certain that while you can escape almost anything from the real world on Moreau Island, the one thing you cannot escape is the truth. The island reveals who you truly are when you strip away everything else, all the society stuff. Who are you at your very core? So creepy, isolated island way off the coast of Hawaii. Perfect location. So the story is told in the present and in the past. It mostly follows Lux, who is living in Hawaii and working as a maid at a hotel. She followed her boyfriend, Nico, to Hawaii after she had only known him for a very short amount of time. He has a sailboat, and he wanted to take it, I believe, from California to Hawaii. So Nico is rich, but he refuses to ask for his family's help. So he works on boats while they wait to save up to fix his boat, which got damaged after they arrived in Hawaii. Then, finally, they can begin their dream of sailing around the world. So the answer to their problems comes in the form of two young women named Ama and Brittany, who are traveling the world together. They seem really cool, and they have plenty of money, so Nico agrees to take them, and he insists that Lux come along. She's just been fired from her job, and it seems like a perfect sort of, you know, quick trip to kind of get used to things. Their boat is finally fixed, and then once they bring the girls back, they can start their own journey. So when they arrive in paradise, they are disappointed to see that there's already another boat there. A beautiful Australian couple named Jake and Eliza greet them, and soon they all become friends. They're having big parties and bonfires and swimming, and it's just, it's paradise. And they're enjoying every second of it until another boat arrives, this one carrying just one man. His name is Robbie, and he immediately rubs everybody the wrong way. And then he gets caught sneaking onto their boats and stealing things. And that's when things really begin to unravel. As the present story continues, we begin to get chapters that give us bits and pieces of everyone else's past. 
The story it weaves is just amazing. And then the ending. It's so good. It's so satisfying. It's so surprising. I loved it so much. I always say endings are super hard. I love it when there's a good one. And this one was a bit unexpected. It was fantastic. Definitely check out Reckless Girls by Rachel Hawkins. And then let me know what you think, because I want to talk about this one. Somebody read it so I can have a discussion. (laughs) Now it's time for a quick break, and then I've got a new chapter of Heart of the Storm. Hey, book lovers. Want to hear a story? Storytime with M is back this Sunday, February 6th, with chapter one of the dystopian fitness nightmare, Super Gym. Get fit or die trying. If you missed season one, you can still find all of the episodes on booksandcatspod.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Now let me tell you a story, a chapter or two a week. (coughs) Welcome back, book lovers. So now I want to share with you the next chapter of Heart of the Storm, the one that was supposed to be last week. As I've said, we are moving right along to the end and things are coming together. You guys know how I feel about endings, and um, I'm getting a little nervous, honestly, because this is when writing gets really difficult. I always have these stories, and they flow, and they just come out, and it, it all is going well, and then you try to figure out how to end it, how to tie everything up, not to miss things. Endings are hard. So... Bear with me, because again, this story is straight out of my brain with no editing. You're just here in the first draft. And I can guarantee that when I eventually release this as an actual book, it will be edited so far beyond what this is, it might not even be recognizable. That's how some of my books tend to work. (laughs) Anyway, without further ado, here is chapter 39 of Heart of the Storm. Lizalt tried not to stare. Harper knew he wanted to. If she wanted to be rational, she could understand his shock. But she didn't want to be rational. She was angry. Just pure anger. She was nothing else anymore. She had been given movement. Only her lower half remained rigid and wooden, a solid base. Strength. However, every gift has a price. Nothing is ever free. Her torso and arms were bendy branches. She was a sapling. This movement would pass. She would slowly transform. The Tree of Healing was coming to the valley. It had been centuries since the last one burned. When this was over, and it would be over soon, the valley would need healing magic. Lots of it. It was a privilege to be chosen, yet Harper was still so angry. Stop staring, Allie said under her breath. Jeez, manners? Harper wheeled her chair around to stare out the window. She seemed to leave the room. Only her body remained. She does that sometimes, Allie said with a shrug. She's been moody, but I don't blame her. She's been raised for the sole purpose of being sacrificed to save the valley. Can you imagine? Lazalt shook his head. He was still trying to make sense of it all. He hadn't really liked Harper. She was angry and abrasive when he met her but he wouldn't wish this information on anyone. To find out your life's purpose was to die. That's everyone, though, isn't it? Allie said. 
Are you reading my thoughts? Lizalt was startled by this invasion. Sorry, Allie said distractedly. I sometimes forget to filter what is spoken and what is thought. Hmm. Lizalt tried to convey his annoyance with her, but Allie was staring over at Harper's motionless body. I know what you mean, though, she said softly. To have to die to save others? Without having a choice? Forced to be the antidote to your mother's madness? Allie shook her head. She focused on Lizalt again. I hope she makes peace with it soon. We're running out of time. She stood up and cast one more look at Harper. Then she motioned to Lizalt and left the room. They walked in silence down the hall. Allie opened a small door in the kitchen, and they entered a narrow passageway. At the end of the passage, a steep, narrow set of stone steps rose up before them. Allie glanced back to make sure Lizalt still followed. Then they began to climb. The stairs were steep enough to act more like a ladder in some places, and the going was treacherous. Allie pointed out useful handholds and places to avoid stepping. Lizalt laughed and hovered lightly up the steps. When Allie finally realized, she laughed too. That must be nice, she said with a smile. This is an intense climb. I've made it quite a few times this week. Lizalt acted without stopping to think about it, which was very unlike him, but he somehow knew it would be okay. He scooped up Allie and carried her up the stairs. She laughed again and threw her arms around his neck. This is nice, she said with a grin. Lizalt dipped for just a moment because his heart was racing. He was suddenly overcome with how nice she smelled. She smelled like lilacs. They reached the door at the top of the stairs, and he gently placed her on the crumbling platform. Allie took a key from around her neck and unlocked the door. She paused with her hand on the knob and looked at Lizalt. He nodded. She nodded back and turned the knob. The sound of the wind rushing through the massive cavern was deafening. The door slipped from Allie's grip and slammed into the wall. She held up a hand as Lizalt moved to help her. Wait. Allie's voice was in his head. Don't fight it. Just let the wind take you, okay? Just trust. Lizalt nodded that he understood. He wasn't sure he did, but he would try. Allie dove through the door and the wind swept her away. Lizalt cried out and dove in after her. He tried to fight it at first. He felt the need for control. But the strain was too much. Relax. Allie's voice again. Lizalt tried to let go. He forced his muscles to go limp. He stopped fighting and struggled through the surge of fear as he lost control. The wind lifted him, swept him around in the dark, and deposited him on a soft carpet. A silver ball of light floated overhead and Allie stood next to him, smiling. I told you not to fight it, she said with a laugh. What is this place? Lizalt didn't feel entirely comfortable in this dark, windy cavern. Nothing yet, Allie shrugged. What comes next is not yet known. This will either become a place of refuge and light, or it will grow darker and more dangerous. It all depends on Harper. Her face was grim. She held out a hand, and Lizalt took it and got to his feet. She led him to the edge of a massive well. A short stone wall surrounded the giant, dark, deep hole from which the winds came in gusts. They were either icy cold or burning hot. He tried to pull back, but Allie held his hand tight. 
It is right to fear this place, but you can trust me. I will not allow anything to hurt you. His face flushed, and he felt certain that she could hear his heartbeat. The small smile on her lips reminded him that she could most likely hear his thoughts as well. They stood beside the well. It was just barely visible in the weak light from the floating orb. It was so wide that only a third of it could be seen. The rest was hidden in shadow. After a long silence listening to the winds howl around them, Allie squeezed his hand and stepped back. We must stay positive. Harper will make the right choice. And if she does... Allie trailed off, but Lizalt could see her vision. A warm, happy world of gentle magic. Witch magic. Healing magic. Allie broke the spell. She let go of his hand and turned back to the doorway and the steep, narrow stairs. Come on, she said, suddenly hurried. We still have a lot of work to do, and the others will be here soon. There is very little time left. He helped her yank the door shut. The wind pulled back and fought them. It finally slammed into place and Allie locked it. They rushed down the stairs. Allie raced down, skipping over several steps at a time. She moved in a smooth, practiced way while Azalt skimmed along behind her. When they returned to Harper's room, she was back in her body. She twisted her long, willowy torso to look at them as they entered. There you are, she said impatiently. I'm ready. I'll do it. We need to get to work. The girls are here. Allie crossed the room and put a hand on Harper's shoulder. She squeezed it and leaned in to look into Harper's eyes. Thank you, she said softly, and touched her forehead to Harper's. You have a truly selfless heart. Harper laughed bitterly. I don't see how I have any other choice. Martina was dragging Gemma through the haze. She was tired and frustrated and honestly done with the whole thing. She was beginning to question whether she could actually do anything to help. She didn't see why she had to help at all. So far, she had failed in everything Moz had trained her for. Gemma was moving even slower than before. Something about the broken old gym had set her on edge, and she had been resisting every step of the way since. Martina was exhausted. But they were so close. She dragged Gemma up the hill. She stopped at the storefront and had to yank her hand away from Gemma. When she tried to open the door, it was locked. Gemma laughed wildly. Back here again. Back to the beginning. But we're locked out, Martina. They've locked us out. Relax, Martina hissed. And keep it down. This fog is full of creatures. She tapped her nails lightly on the door and waited. Gemma was having a panic attack. Martina rolled her eyes and tapped a little louder. After another long moment, the locks clicked and the door opened. Martina grabbed Gemma's hand and pulled her through the door. Her breathing was still labored, but improved immensely once they were inside the bright white store. She released Martina's hand without protest. They've redecorated, Gemma said softly. Everything's so bright and new. Where are they? Who? Gemma looked confused. Not Lottie. No. Martina felt the loss deeply. There was no question the woman was gone. Immortality was an impossibility. Extended life, yes. But there was always an end. 
Honestly, I have no idea who we're meeting here. I just know this is what comes next. Just following orders. Gemma was thoughtful for a moment. Do you think that's a good idea? Martina shrugged and shook her head. She had no answer for that one. She walked briskly to the back of the store and pulled back the curtain. Hello? She called. We're here. Let's get going. Martina sighed impatiently. It might be a really terrible idea, actually, she said to Gemma. I'm starting to think it's a really, really bad idea. They don't have our best interests at heart. There was a noise from the back hallway. Allie appeared a moment later. She smiled at them, but she didn't immediately speak. Martina was beyond frustrated. Say something, she finally said. She smacked her hand down on the nearby counter. Dishes rattled. Gemma jumped at the sudden sound. But Allie continued smiling. I'm sorry, she said warmly. I have been waiting for this for a long time. Lottie told me tales of all of you. It's like meeting a mythological creature. Um, okay. Martina cast a look at Gemma. Allie laughed. I'm sorry, she said again. I'm being weird. I knew I would do this. Lottie told me to be calm. She laughed breathlessly and tucked a loose strand of hair behind her ear. I'm happy you're here. We really are that much closer to success. We can fix this mess. Footsteps from the back of the store made Martina tense. She waited, ready to attack. Allie smiled widely. Oh yes, this is a wonderful moment. She clapped her hands together happily. Martina, you must especially meet him. Lazalt, come here. He stepped out into the store and examined the newcomers suspiciously. He stared at Martina for an uncomfortable amount of time. She was so fed up with these weirdos. What? She snapped finally. Lazalt laughed. Oh man, I can't believe it. He was grinning. He looked at Allie and she nodded happily. Martina, welcome. My name is Allie and this is Lazalt, your brother. Gemma gasped, but the sound warbled and seemed far away. Martina was staring at the young man in front of her, who looked so much like her now that she thought about it. Lazalt grinned and stepped forward with open arms, ready to hug her. And that was lucky, because he was able to catch her as she fainted. And that's the end of chapter 39, book lovers. I hope you're still enjoying Heart of the Storm. If you have missed any past episodes or are interested in anything Books and Cats related, you can check out booksandcatspod.com or go to Instagram, books.cats.pod. Or TikTok. Still working on that one. <laughs> I hope you all have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep reading.